Hello, hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for the 54th edition of the Hardly Millennial Podcast. Here, folks, we are young, dumb, and full of... Les Opinions. Opinions, in case you need a translator. Yeah. So I'm Matthew Lynn, and today across from me we have... Justin Lunsford. The infamous Justin Lunsford. Just famous. Famous. The recently infamous Justin Lunsford. Um, Adam has disappeared. We're pretty sure he's been kidnapped, and we're not terribly worried about it. So hopefully he'll be back tomorrow. We'll see. As long as he pays the electricity. I think he did that this morning. I saw him this morning. I don't care when, as long as he does it. Amen. So, Justin, how have you been? What have you been up to in the last few days? Well, I'll tell you, in the past couple hours I did a podcast, but I'm back here doing another one. Want to tell him why? So, Matthew may not be the highest level of professional when it comes to media equipment. And while I like to think I have a great personality for this job, um, I lack a lot of the fundamentals in how to use the equipment. So you see... Just like you do in sex. (laughs) Is that what she meant? Okay, anyway. So (laughs) we started a podcast. I pushed record. We talked for an hour, folks. It was a pretty good one, actually. Um, And you'll never get to hear it because, much like many, many other content creators do, I fucked up and pushed the wrong button. I pushed play, not record. Well, I've never done that, and I'm technically a content creator. But anyway, um, we are going to try our best to really revisit some of the material, because it was actually good material. It was. Um, So I think that we should probably uh, start out the same way. You asked me what I have been doing the past couple of days, besides re-podcasting a podcast that we already casted. Um, I think. Right. We um, we also watched a movie. Want to tell them about it? Yeah, guys. So um, I watched a movie today, and I'm kind of behind the bandwagon here on this one. Um, but it was a really intense movie. So I watched Mel Gibson's rendition of Passion of the Christ. I guess it's the only rendition of that particular movie. But anyway, I watched Passion of the Christ, guys. And I had been told for many years that it was an intense movie and that I wasn't prepared for what I was going to see. And I never really believed it. And now I completely understand. It was kind of like a subject matter means you have to see it, right? But no one really, you never got the impression that you had to see it for the content and how you'd be moved. But now you know otherwise. I I didn't understand how it was going to be different from any other telling of Jesus and his life and how he was crucified. So in most typical stories of Jesus, they really focus on the beginning of his life and kind of, you know, the great, the, the miracles that he did and how he affected people. And the very end of the story is his, crucif- his crucifixion. So in this movie, they skip ahead right to the end. And right in the beginning is Jesus being captured. And the whole two and a half hours is him going through the process of being persecuted. So it really puts a lot of detail and a lot of light on 
on on an ending that we usually only see a few minutes of. You you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. We actually touched on this a little bit earlier when we <laughs> we uh, we had mentioned that when you're told the story of Jesus of Nazareth, you are told about we start with his birth and everything's amazing and you have the three kings, you know, the wise men who are coming across the desert and these really beautiful king, you know, traditional garb. Yeah, bringing him chests of of gold and jewels. Frankincense and myrrh. And then they are traveling across the desert on camels, and it's just this really beautiful thing. They're following a star. You learn about his really humble upbringing and everything. And then it's just at the end where you see that he is crucified, and it's almost beautiful because he did it for both you and me. And It's always with a nice sun in the background, Mm -hmm. and And the wind is flowing. And his garments are hanging from his hands that have been pierced by these nails and they're blowing in the wind and you're thinking wow this is just the way it was supposed to be and what an amazing person he was for going through all that but all that is really played down and this movie all that is played up a lot this movie is literally it feels as if you are one of the people in the crowd watching the human being the man whether you think he's divine or not just watching the man jesus be crucified it, it's like you're almost literally right there. Uh, so, they speak a different language through the whole movie. Two, two languages. Languai, but yes. <laughs> um, languages. Two languages. And if you don't have subtitles on, you actually won't know what's going on in the movie. Um, so it's it's very immersive in its details. So one of the things that I really felt was shown differently in this movie than a lot of other movies was um during the where he's being tortured mm-hmm. you know and they're they're whipping him with the cat of nine tails and all this and it's really right. disgusting it's really sad and it looks terribly painful and they're not really zooming in on the special effects of gore or blood or like waterfalls of blood and, yes. and vomiting and whatever they really are looking <laughs> at the people who are performing these acts and who they're be, being performed on. So you really just see this this look of defeat, but perseverance in, in the man who's playing Jesus's face and the sick, sick, sad enjoyment that mm-hmm. a lot of these other people are getting out of watching him or actually performing these acts on him. Um, yes. And I think it's... that is the part that's really jarring because that makes it almost feel real. Well, and that's the thing is that I think sometimes people forget that this story, and you know, it it was real. Um, it actually happened to a person, and I agree. They they used the blood very almost. I'm gonna say the word tastefully. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course it's it's extremely difficult to watch, you know, just because of what's going on. You, it's so emotional, but they don't focus at any point on on the blood. They use what I feel is the minimal amount to get the point across. Um, And it really, like you said, it's more focused on the faces and getting the emotion of what these actual individuals were feeling while this was happening. Yeah, the, I, I completely mistook um, the amount of people that were involved in this process. Um, I always just had this picture in my mind that there was about 50 people involved in this process between the king and the crucifixion and in, 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 like yeah, in Jesus' story. That lasts probably, what, two days. 
yeah, of the whole thing. I, I thought this was a really covert operation almost and that, you know, someone sold someone to somebody else for a certain amount of money. I just think of it right. as like this kind of, the word we use now, collusion. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, secret, covert. But really this was a, this was an event that immersed in a, a civilization of people almost. Like, oh, it, it yeah, it, it moved a whole kingdom of people. Um, thousands, tens of thousands of people were affected. And I think his following alone w- was in the thousands when he was alive. You just don't, you, for some reason, when you think about quote unquote back then, mm-hmm. you really don't think there was even as many people. And there weren't, but there's yeah. still, you know, tens of thousands of people. There was still in a congested city, yeah. city where there is a city. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, we, you just had thousands of people following him, parading him around, you know, a lot of people that, that hated him. And you kind of see past a religious figure, actually. You see a lot more into just someone who did exist because he's a historical figure, not a fictional character. Yes. You know, we see he's documented in all, just about all forms of, of uh, religious literature. Yes. Yeah, there's very little doubt that a man named Jesus was born in Nazareth and was crucified. Just whether or not he was the Messiah or a Messiah in general. Yes. I mean, just biblically, the the Bible in general covers such an enormous span of years, and it's gone through so many dynasties and kings and everything. Yeah. You don't know how much of that is historically accurate or if a lot of it is just oral tradition that has been well, written and aren't down aren't there literally different iterations of the same bible there's like the king james bible there's the right there are different translations of the same bible right um because because um the original aramaic texts that were written can't really be translated just directly into English. There's a lot of different mm. ways you can translate it. And if I'm not mistaken, that language is written without without vowels, I believe it is. Oh, interesting. I believe it's Which without... is like impossible to do now, almost. You know, it would be, well, it's in, just in, a different language. Well, in, I guess I came out wrong. It would be almost impossible to translate correctly a language that doesn't use that into one that does. Right. You would get things like, isn't that where they say walking on water could have meant walking near or walking in? In, by, yes. L- little details like that. Same gists, but it, the details could be different. Absolutely. <coughs> so, but yeah, it was a really impactful movie. Excuse me. I think, I do think everybody should watch it at least once. And I, I honestly just think it was a really well done movie. I think it had just the right, right amount of artistic license in it too with the depiction of, of Absolutely. Satan. Um I think that someone who was not religious at all would still find a lot of value in in the movie just itself. Oh yeah, um, there's still a huge moral there. You moral can definitely, story even if you don't believe in evil, you can definitely feel, you know, the evil in you that can movie. Feel it. You the can betrayal. feel the purity of Jesus in it, even though he's not floating down on wings or anything well, crazy. They like literally that. show it to you. They don't just tell you. Um, that Judas is feeling guilty. They literally have him, there's a scene where he's being run out of town by a bunch of kids. Mm-hmm. Those kids aren't real, they're metaphors. They're right. metaphors for his demons eating him up. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So they were very good at giving you visual depictions of the feelings going on. Um, it, it, was very, it wasn't hard at all. There was no 
having to translate it to yourself. It was very much fed to you of here's the story. Here's what, what I'm trying to get across. And it's directed by Mel Gibson, obviously. We yeah. all know the whole yeah. shebang with Mel Gibson. Yeah, a little ironic, but it is what it is. And it's interesting because there's, for someone like himself, he's an anti-Semite, and there's not a lot of obvious fingers pointing at the Jews at being at fault for the crucifixion of Jesus because it really like shows... the actual in, Jewish people, like right. the common folk of... Okay. Well, just whether or not it's the Romans or the Jews, he really does seem to put an equally weighted fault on both parts because the Romans failed to save Jesus. Right, where they could have. Right. Okay. But they also really didn't particularly care about killing him either. But they were the ones that physically did kill him. Yes, to to appease the people, to keep from they didn't want a rebellion to break out. Right. Um again, there had been a rebellion in the area in the last like 10 years before his crucifixion. So they didn't crucifixion. want that <laughs> crucifixion, excuse me. Crucifixion. They didn't want that to happen again. So basically, they were willing to do whatever it took to keep the people from rising up. So when these leaders of these people came forth and said, we want to kill this guy, we want him, we want him um, tried and killed, the Roman leaders said, well, he hasn't really done anything worthy of being killed for. And that was where the whipping part came in. That was that whole scene of them beating him with the nine cattails. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to end it there. They wanted to just beat him real bad and then let him go. And after he was beaten, they kept calling for his cruci- crucifixion. And finally, um, the, the, basically the governor, the proctor of the area, said, okay, fine, do what you want. And there's actually a scene in the movie where he washes his hands with some water, and he says, this man's blood is not on my hands. Um, the Roman says this. He said, it's on your hands. If you want to kill him, you go ahead and do it. So... I, you're right in that it wasn't the common Jewish people, the folk who wanted him dead, but the leaders of that area, the council, um, were the ones they, that brought him up for blasphemy, for saying right. he was the Messiah. I just thought it was tastefully presented Yes, to I agree. not say the Jews killed Jesus. Yeah, yeah, because really that's not exactly what happened. A few people betrayed Plus, for Jesus. an anti-Semite, you would have thought he really would have taken the artistic license to really lean it, you know, in that, that direction. Been, that would have been a good opportunity. But he didn't, and I applaud him for that. Absolutely. Um, I think there was actually a pretty big stink after the movie came out that it wasn't put up for any awards. Um, and they said that that was because the Academy didn't want anything to do with a religious dispute. Like, if it were to win an award, they didn't want them to say, well, it won because it was a religious film, and they favor Christianity over something else. Well, that's ridiculous. It is. There was a big backlash for it, because it actually it didn't get any kind of, of awards. I didn't know that. How yeah. interesting. Adam was uh, telling me that, actually, after we watched the movie. He knows a lot about all that stuff. But one thing we talked about in the previous podcast, where people aren't going to hear, that I personally found really interesting— is I'm I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've always really wondered that they don't exactly address in, in church or in any of my teachings is 
so little baby Jesus was born, and mm-hmm. these kings came on their camels and brought him chests full of silver and gold and, oh, and valuable right. things, right? But then they don't ever talk about that anymore. Then all of a sudden that stops and Jesus grows up and he's very humble and he's this carpenter and, or at least his father was a carpenter and you never hear about the money again. And I've always thought to myself, well, where did that go? If they brought him gold and silver as a baby, wouldn't Jesus the man have grown up rather wealthy? I think that one of the issues that we have with the Bible, um, really any long-lived literature, piece of literature that has gone through kings and kings and dynasties, if things get do get pulled out. and Yes, like a game of telephone. Right, and we really do want to believe that Jesus was this humble man, which he very well may have been. But oh, something, I have no doubt that he was a, a right. humble individual. But something tells me that he did not make a living selling pieces of... of uh, carpentry well we talked about that he was in his young to mid 30s when he was crucified right i believe i believe he was 33 when he was crucified and he was 30 when he began his ministry so while people didn't live as long back then that's still somewhat young in his life he would have had another 20 years to go right so for him to be able to support himself and whatever followers while not working and just go out and start preaching for three years, a person still needs to eat. He's still in a human body, right? Even if he is the son of God. Right. He has to eat. He needs a place to sleep. It would be difficult if he didn't have some kind of money to support himself with. Oh, right. You know Um, what I mean? There's that. I mean, also consider things that maybe have been miracles, called miracles. And, you know, we believe that miracles can happen. A lot of people do. But someone who can, you know, feed a whole bunch of people, what is it, 5,000? Well, let's just say it is. Yeah. With a loaf of bread and, a, you know, one fish or whatever the story is. It's been right. years now. I mean, he could have brought some fish and a loaf of bread to a bunch of people, have it run out, and then brought more. You know, it, right. anything Maybe can it's happen. A metaphor. Maybe he was an amazing philanthropist right you know what i mean and personally as matthew i don't believe these words i'm just talking here as a conversation i believe truly that jesus had powers and truly Uh he touched people and actually healed them but let's just stop for a second and think logically in the world that we live in like you said maybe bread and fish for five thousand people means he did collect all the homeless and he just fed them all he paid however much gold to get them all bread. Maybe right. healing the the deaf is they had something back then that could bring back your hearing, an artificial ear, and he bought that for them. Or, you know, the, I'm not making the strongest case of it, but I'm sure there are examples that you can think of where someone could purchase a large amount of help for people. I... Even when it comes down to healing ailments like leprosy or, or whatever they, they say happen to people, as a firm believer in fasting and autophagy, I believe that there, it, he could have very well said, take this water right. that I bless right now, you know, mm-hmm. and um, only drink this water for a week. Right. Eat no food and your pain will be gone. Or your ailment will be subsided, or whatever he might say in his language, because you know he didn't speak English. Of course, 
And we look at that now as a miracle when really it's something that we probably, you know, have learned to, to figure out. It just as a possibility. A possibility. And even if that is the case, let's say that Jesus was a rich guy who brought happiness to people. Even then, it wouldn't take away from his his grandness and and the mysticism behind him. Like, he would still be bringing those wonderful things upon those people. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. no no reason to not believe in him, even if he was. But something tells me that if this man was bringing deaf people, um, bringing their sight back and healing people, yeah. And word got around that he actually was doing this. I just don't think they would have murdered him. I think they would have probably imprisoned him and forced him to heal kings and queens and and all that. I, That's a good point. Unless, you know, they just made rash decisions out of fear. Right, know. but I mean, three years of healing people and turning water into wine. And, right. And, you know, I'm sure there were places in the world where there was famine where he could have gone and fed more people with fish now, and bread. The only, the only part where I'm a little hesitant on maybe he was a rich guy and he used his wealth to make these miracles happen is some of the miracles that are accounted for in the Bible are, in my opinion, a little outside of the realm of financial um, possibility. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there's the story of Lazarus. So Jesus is from Nazareth, but there's a story of Lazarus. 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 Uh huh. Lazarus. Okay. And he—that's the story of where he was brought back from the dead. Rose from the dead. Rose from the dead. And when that happened, everyone in the village, rather than saying, "Oh, we believe," we tra- they said, "Do my uncle next. Bring back my brother. Do the and." Jesus realized that this won't happen again. I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, some things, even though they can be done, shouldn't be done. So while he possessed the power to do it, he said, I will never do that again. Um, so something like that, if it is literally true that a dead body rose to be alive again, that would be outside of the realm of, you couldn't make that happen with any amount of money. Well, rising from the dead... Could be a metaphor too. It re- it could, because well, not only that, but back to translation, it could have been, you know, he was close to death and he took them away from death. It could be a lot. We of would even like say that, that today, right? Absolutely, he brought me back from death, man. He... So to True. me, it's not a. If that's gonna, I'm not here to to debunk um, the Bible. Right, I have my own right. feelings about the Bible as a piece of literature versus a piece of religious documentation. But you either think that the Bible is something to live your life by and and take it completely word for word, or you just kind of accept that it's like a loose, um, a loose, somewhat accurate history that you can kind of use what's in there and its stories and its guidelines to live your life by. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but that's that's how I personally kind of view it. Is I don't. I wouldn't take every word word for word in the Bible. Um, also, I don't know if it's depending on the particular religion, but I know how I was raised and taught is generally people don't read the Bible from first page to last page, like beginning to end. Right. Is that is that common, or is that something that maybe I was just kind of taught? 
Well, it's like a handbook. So some people read a manual from the beginning to the end. It just depends on how kind of a learner you are. Right. I guess that's true. So, but whether or not you read it from the beginning to end, to me, doesn't seem as relevant as if you believe it to be completely true or not. I mean, if you're reading right. it as a good, you know, piece of literature, you read it from the beginning to the end. You know, if you're right, we actually studied the Bible and. Um, AP American Literature in high school, and we read it from the beginning to the end. We had study guides. Wow, really? Yeah, we actually had to do it over the summer vacation and then take a Bible test a couple weeks into the school. So as we're talking about these things and these stories, um, you're not illiterate at all on this on these subjects. No. You've, you've literally read all this I stuff actually yourself. was raised in a religion that um, made me go to school in the morning for for uh, school. No so kidding. like like Bible school kind of thing. Yes, no every kidding. morning, every day of high school. So now that's interesting to me because knowing you for the last year, mm-hmm. um, you're a very spiritual person and right. you're a very loving person. You have all the qualities that that I would have and have been taught to have. Uh huh. But you're not the most religious person no and you're very openly outspoken towards actual entities of like church systems like the brick and mortar church system you're not super duper fond no of. because i feel like that is an arena to judge people and they hide behind a rule that you do not judge people but i find Ironic, that it's it? all judgmental so as far as organized religion is concerned, I am not anti-religion because right. we live in America and I'm a, I'm a big constitutionalist and I believe that you should be able to practice any religion that you want as long as it does not go against the law of the land that you reside in. I can totally okay. accept that. I believe kind of in sovereign that. law of the land. Yes. Um, I think that's number one because that's the way to make sure that everybody in that land is treated equally. So, so you can't say it's my religion to murder my neighbor because or that goes against the law. My religion of the to country. not work. So no, but so that I can live as long on as you're welfare within or the boundaries of the law, you can practice whatever beliefs you want. Yeah, and I will yes. fight for your your ability to do so. You know, as long as the fundamentals of your religion do not go against this this the law of this great nation. Right. So no, I don't necessarily believe in structured religion. I have had my own issues with organized religion myself, but I am a very um, spiritual person because I do believe that we as humans innately have a sense of accountability and if we can have um, if we have some kind of a higher power to be accountable to we always feel better and I think there's a reason that we yeah. feel that way you know right and wrong does not mean God or Satan Correct. You know, but we all know, we all have this innate feeling where we did something correctly or we did something incorrectly. A kindergartner knows it, don't they? Oh, they absolutely. Than anyone. Of, you, know? you, you feel inside shame when you do something wrong. Like when you lie? You know, whether you get caught or not, you know and you feel that you did that. Abs- there's body language that, that shows when you are consciously lying, and that all comes from this accountability. So, no, I... But I, but the reason I'm a spiritual person is because I just I believe in belonging to something that is bigger than yourself because we just innately belong to something that is bigger than we are. Right. 
And as far as God is concerned, I hardly think that uh, he's going to be looking at each religion to figure out who was the most right. I just think that is so silly. So I agree. Um, And I am a person who is much more passionate about their religious beliefs than you are, right? Like I, I'm, I'm a Christian person. I believe in God. I believe Jesus was a son, all that good stuff. Um, and I too do not like the church system, the concept of churches, Mm -hmm. um, because there's too much influence from man on it. And it's completely influenced. It's totally man. man. And it elevates human beings positions in this human world which i don't think god would be interested in doing at all right also money is a huge part of the church system in almost any religion you got to give money to the church to keep it going well when jesus was here on earth the dude whether he was divine or not they tried to give him money and what did he say you probably know he said give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Meaning give your coins to Caesar. It has his face on it. It has his, that belongs to Caesar. Give it to him. Give your heart, give your love that belongs to God, to to God. Mm -hmm. So Jesus was not about earning money in any way from his preachings. At least the dude was not interested in that. So for someone to come along and say, I'm going to build this building and preach his teachings in it, but I'm going to charge people or ask them to give donations, that bothers me. I don't like that at all. Well, the more that a church asks from its um, congregation members or its members in general, uh, the more corrupt it always ends up being. You know, sure. So when you're asking for anything other than your cooperation or your love or your soul or whatever... You're just you're asking for corruption. Look at the Catholic Church. Okay, I don't mean to upset anybody that is part of the Catholic Church, but I do think that the Catholic Church would exist without the Vatican. Yeah. And I mean it's a it's the wealthiest church in the world. Oh, easily. Okay. And with great money you have great power. With great power you have great corruption and responsibility. <laughs> I, and how can yeah. you have all of those things, you know? So I do think that, that God still works in that. I think that God works in all religions. I don't think that there's one religion that goes to, to heaven and all the rest go to hell. I think mm-hmm. that no matter what name you give something, as long as you get the concept down, you're good. I don't think God cares about religion. Not not in what we I call think it. God cares about your accountability to a higher power and yeah. following that as best as you can. So if you're a psycho... And you do not believe in a higher power because you can't you can't wrap your mind around it because it's just not part of your psyche. I don't think you go to hell. I don't. I think that <laughs> I would agree. I don't think that that's fair. I and I wouldn't this, want to serve a god that does that. Exactly. I think this higher power completely understands that, and in some way, this person was created that way, and maybe they exist to. So you know what's interesting is um, you bring up an example of someone who their mind isn't capable of comprehending the choice. So is it fair that they never got to make that choice, right, Uh of believing or not? That's not very fair. Well, as a little boy, when I was, you know, being taught by my dad and stuff about God and all this, I actually asked, 
because he told me the story of how Jesus was crucified. Mm-hmm. And this ties into the movie we watch, guys, because Mel Gibson is making a second movie now. And it's going to be what happens after Jesus rose Easter. from the dead. Easter. Yeah. So we all know the story. It took Jesus three days to rise from the dead. Right. On the third day, he rose. Uh, sure. Okay. Yes. Third day. Third day, he rose. Right. So I asked my dad one day, I said, well, I'm all about this Jesus thing and having the choice. I'm cool with it. But what about all the people who were born and died before Jesus came around? They never got to hear him preach. They never had any idea of this choice. I'm like, that's not fair. Do they all go to hell? And he said, well, Matthew, that's what Jesus was doing for those three days. That's why it took that time. Is he was, he, as the story goes, okay, he went to hell and he preached in hell for three days. And that was where all the people who came before were able to get the lesson, were able to have the choice. So it is it is fair. So what, what you're saying with um, someone who doesn't have the mental capacity to understand the choice, I think that after they're gone from this body, their spirit would then get the message and would have the opportunity to have the choice. I don't think anyone sneaks through and just goes right to hell. I think every single spirit, no matter what, gets that choice eventually. So want to hear my take on it? Yeah, I do. I'm very interested. I think everyone goes where they want to go. What do you mean? I think we are all we are all wired to have some sense of accountability to something that is bigger than we are. And I think that as we die, there is no judgment after. I believe that we know exactly where we're going. I think that as you die, you have a great idea as to what is going to happen to you. Really? Oh, absolutely. Almost as if you judge yourself? Yes. Interesting. Absolutely. Because, look, energy is neither created nor destroyed. Right. Ever. Okay? So I think that that same principle goes toward your soul, this energy that is continuing to perpetuate through the universe. It's just not in your body. Right. So (laughs) I do believe that you are a conscious being after you die, and I do believe that you create what happens to you after you die. So that's really fascinating to me. As far as okay, so as far as what is God, right? Everyone wants to know what God is. Some people believe that it's this, you know, elderly looking man with a booming voice, a long beard and you know the the stereotype. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, well clearly that's most likely not what it is. Right. Right. I believe that God is this um, torque force, this uh, perpetual force in the universe that is continuing to move forward that we are all part of. I believe that it is perpetuated by every single decision that we make, words that we say, actions that we do, even the most minuscule thing affects the way that the rest of the world is going to actually function. And as we all make these different moves and possibilities, and throughout the different possibilities, we are all creating our reality of what's going on on this planet. So that's why, to me, the what goes around comes around. It's very quite literal in the sense that you are going to be living in a world that you've put your decisions into, okay? Yeah. So this perpetual force is God. It's in us so that we are able to make choices, and then it creates the energy that we all live in. And it's just something that is bigger than we are. We are all taking part of it. And this is what I think being made in God's image 
really is. I, that it, is fascinating to me. I was just going to say that the Bible says that God created us in his image. Right. And the concept of that he is in us and we are him, it, that would be his image. That goes right along those lines. Absolutely. Also, not not to cut you off, just real quick, I'm, you really blew my mind with this, dude. This is fascinating to me because it also says choices are like one of the most important things to God. That's what all of this is all about is right. choices. Absolutely. And if in your scenario, choices perpetuate everything. Right. And furthermore, along with choices, words, words in particular are very, very important to God, I believe. That what you say, once you say something, that you really release it into this world. And again, with your scenario, you even said that the words lead to the choices which perpetuate the energy. Well, your words can lead to others' choices. If I say something that makes you sad or puts you in a bad mood, that can affect the choices you make right. from then on. Mm-hmm. So words do become reality. Words do manifest in some mm-hmm. way. Whereas if I make you really happy, you might go and do the best work you ever did on something, and it could lead to something great. So good you things still, manifest good things. I just don't want to get it twisted. Someone else's words are not responsible for your actions, though. You are but still responsible, right? But you are still accountable for your own actions. You cannot right. blame them on someone right. else's words. That is super interesting to me. Um, so, in that scenario, in the there's this energy going on between all of us, and it lives in us, and we are God. Okay, the image. Uh-huh. Where does the creation part come in in that? So if God is in us and and the energy that we put out is him, how how did he, who created everything? Well, before, he did. Before we were around to perpetuate and keep him going, to make that energy happen. This earth was around before we were around. So the same energy that created the earth is the same energy that created people. So it goes back to different interpretations of the Bible. So... In essence, right, oh, theoretically, biblically, right, right. God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day. Right. That's the wordage that, I, that I've always been taught. Everyone right. Everyone always hears that. Right. So a day to an entity that created a universe mm-hmm. has got to be different than a day that us, mortal people who are who live for an average of what eighty five to one hundred years on yeah. one planet can possibly comprehend. Because I mean, a Correct. day on Mars is different than a day on the Earth. A day on I Jupiter. I think it's more a figure of probably a misinterpretation again, where it would be almost akin to us saying like, "Someday I'll go there," or right. "One day I'll go or there," or "Back in the day." It's not literally one 24-hour period, I'll go there. It means in the future, I will go there. So So, this could mean a day could be a season, a period of time, a thousand years. Right. So if if God, if the higher power was able to create the world, I mean, creating us in his image just meant that that part of his creation was in his image. Right. So he's, you know, he, I mean, go, how about, Evolution, for example, mm-hmm. we talk about humans being created on the last day before he rested. Right. Okay, well, 
maybe we appeared the way we are on the seventh day, mm-hmm. but throughout the other rest of the days, we went through different, you know, parts of becoming Oh, that was people. us being an amoeba and then a fish and then a, a thing that crawled up. and Right. Or, I mean, maybe in the one day maybe. that went from the Australopithecus, Lucy, you know, the one that we, the one specimen that we know of down to the first bipedal Homo sapien. We, that wasn't necessarily poof and we were there. We just appeared, you know, naked, you know, hiding our privates with leaves. You know, this started out one day was, you know, started out as a simplest form of, of uh, what we might have been, you know, of our ancestor. You know, maybe when we first split off of today's common, you know, ape or the bonobo or the whatever, the, the ancestor that we have differently. It's so interesting. That could have been in, in God's version of a day that we yeah. only know of as a day. It's the only way that we know how to express it. So I do, I do like personally, as Matthew, I do believe that God created man mm-hmm. and created animals. And just myself, I do believe that they're two separate things. I, I personally don't think that humans came from animals. But mm-hmm. what you're saying there's no plausible reason why it couldn't be exactly right. I mean, so why do you scientifically, feel? your theory falls, has more support to it than my theory would. Well, the, so let's go into that. Why do you feel that humans are different than animals? We are in the same exact kingdom as all of them scientifically. And we are in the same class as a whale or an elephant or a hamster or a cow. I understand that. And so look, I believe that there is spirituality and there's science. Mm -hmm. And I think that they both coincide together and can Mm -hmm. both be happening at the same time in the same issue. Right, of course. So I think that science is a tool we use to explain how the world runs. Okay. So... This is ultimately going to get to me agreeing with you here, is that just because we say God is the creator of Uh man, we still have to, as humans, we still want to explain how that creation came to happen. Right. Right? And I think evolution, the theory of evolution, is our best shot at explaining how it happened. I agree with you. Okay. Now, it's our best shot. That's why I don't think it's true. I just, I don't, I'm not convinced that they nailed it down. Mm-hmm. However, there is much more proof scientifically for evolution than there is for a ball of light in the sky saying, let there be, and then it comes to be. There's no scientific evidence for that. It's just belief. So I think that I can't make a logical argument as to why I don't believe in evolution. Mm-hmm. I think that. I really have to admit to myself here that it is an emotional response. It is a, it's just a belief. Like, how do you explain a belief other than I just believe it? Right. Well, it's the same thing. How do you explain morality except that you can just feel it? So, but I am totally willing to meet you or anyone else in the middle here that 
scientifically the way we try to explain it is with evolution. Exactly. I feel like there's no reason why we can't all be right. Right. We're so excited to be right and someone else be wrong. You know, yeah. but we don't even stop to think, think that maybe science, bro. Well, I don't think that God cares at all about. Humans I think that and God science. loves science. It's how we explain things around us. It's how we get better, and we're more able to make choices. I think that science makes us a lot more accountable and a lot more moral. Right. Yeah. If That's the, what changes it from ignorance to a choice. If absolutely. you don't know, if you don't have the knowledge, then you're just ignorant, and that's not bad. That just means you never had a chance. But in the same way that we're not ignorant, though, utilizing science over religion or over morality can be bad. Utilizing religion over science can be bad, too. It's really about meeting in the middle and understanding that the the idea of this whole thing is to really end up agreeing, is to really end up figuring out the truth. We Everyone really just wants the truth. But a lot of people really want the other side to just be wrong. Sure. And I think that that's very selfish. Um, I think that that's a shame. And you should, why would we not want to strive to all be correct? Especially if there's every chance in the world that we are all correct. It's so, not so obvious that, it's not like saying let the flat earthers and the round earthers all be correct. One side is obviously right. Here, there's no reason why we can't all be correct. It's well, in the sense of religion. Yeah, absolutely. in the sense of religion. Yeah, yeah. Or evolution in, in general. I ju it's just, it's weird to me to say everything's wrong except for this. And no matter what you show me, can't possibly prove this wrong. Right. That's just so ignorant to me. And it's so, uh, it's just very closed-minded. And, and you immediately close yourself off to anybody who would like to get to the bottom of it. You, you, you've become that person that's just a naysayer and that's it. There See, was a- he, he doesn't want that either though. Well, I don't think so either. I don't so think either. that God would want his followers to be like that. And the higher power that I believe in is continuously moving forward. Yeah. So forward thinking is advancement. It's con continuously, you know, wanting to learn more. And I truly think that I know the meaning of life and I think it's to exist in a physical body Mm -hmm. and to get the experience of having a physical body and make choices based on things that you can hear, touch, smell, and feel, yeah. you know, and, with, and there's this little voice in the back of all of our heads that understands morality to guide us and do your best to follow that moral fiber back there, that moral, you know, orb that's trying to tell you the right thing and the wrong thing to do. And to do your best. Do your best. Something tells you not to jump off of a cliff, doesn't it? So you, you doesn't feel right. You you literally think that we're here to just to live our best lives. That's what we're here to, to learn. Do. To learn and live live our best lives. Yeah, I literally think that our our job right now on this planet is to take in a lot of information, which is why I'm a huge believer in the subconscious, mm -hmm. because you're taking in a lot more than you realize. Oh, it's most of what you take in, actually. Right. You only perceive a very small percentage of what you take in. There was a, Otherwise, you'd go crazy. A really interesting study done. It was an article that I read with uh, Adam and, and Thomas one time. Oh, I wasn't invited. Thanks. It was way before your time, oh, okay. a couple years ago. And it was really interesting. So they took 
a strand of DNA from two subjects, a man and a woman. And they isolated the DNA in a vacuum, okay? Just meaning that no air goes in, no air goes out. It's completely right. just devoid of any type of in or out action. Okay. And they put some photons of light into this vacuum with this strand of DNA. Uh-huh. And the light took the shape of a double helix, which is pretty fascinating because it means that the light's not intelligent, right? But the DNA... But the light carries information, which well, is fast. So it mimics right. what, it, what it was around. The DNA, yeah, somehow took the light and, and made it into like a double oh, helix in both cases. Okay. So what that did was allow us to see reaction when the DNA was stimulated. Yeah. So first thing that happened was they... With the subject in the room next to this, fo- these photons of light combined with DNA, they were able to stimulate, whether it's poking them or flash a light in their eye or something, and they could see this strand of DNA react in real time. There was no delay. There was... And the strand of DNA was from the person, Yes. Right? So the same individual that they're poking, that is their DNA that That's is in, in there. that vacuum. Right. Okay. So the DNA would react in real time, no delay. Even though it was not attached to his body right. or in any way attached to the other DNA strands. Right. So you are, it, you are following. It acted just like it was a part of him. Right. Wow. And her. Okay. And they, did, they, did this, wow. they did two different people. And they continued to do the same experiment um, until they were so convinced that the same exact thing was going to happen. They just stopped doing it. And at this point, they had probed over a thousand times and they were about a mile apart. Are you kidding me? So, so they took it. They took the person's DNA, went a mile away from the person. Well, many po- different di- distances along the way. Poked the individual and still got the response from the strand of Real DNA. Real time, no delay, delay. no travel wow. time. Okay? This is fascinating because you share DNA with some people in the world. Exactly. That's fascinating. So, there's a couple of things to draw from this, and I think this was going to wrap up our day really cool and give yes. them something to think about. One is, when you die, your DNA turns off. There's a physical response on your DNA when right. you die. Yeah, it's, yes. well, it's over. It dies. Okay. Okay. So, all the DNA that you share with your mom or your sister or brother or twin, okay? If you're, if you're related to someone, you share an amount of DNA okay, with them. That DNA that you share with them also goes dormant forever, Okay. So a literal piece of them dies? Yes. Wow. So that DNA completely turns off. Okay. But also, besides death, think about stimulus. Think about if you get in a car accident and you go through some trauma, the first person to freak out and call because something just, they know something is wrong is always your mother. Or your twin. Or your twin. How much do they say... I just know what my twin's doing, and she lives in Chicago. I know and I'm what in she's gonna say. New York. I know, or we were identical twins, separated at birth, and we use the same. She got in a car accident. I can feel it. Right. Or, okay. Because she, because they literally felt it. Right. Exactly. Even Whoa. though it's minuscule, even though it's something that's way in there, it's a piece of them. Right. You can feel it in your retinas. You can feel it in your nose hairs. You can feel it in. That okay. is absolutely. And this is not a theory. This was proven. Well, this the 
this all now is a theory, right? That you can feel all that, but, but the they stimulus did an actual stimulus the, test, with right? So all you can do is dude. translate that into people who share the similar DNA. Fucking phenomenal! It's crazy. It's nuts. So a mother's intuition is scientifically proven at this point, right? Um, the whole twin thing is kind of proven now. Yeah. So when you're an identical twin and your twin dies, you are truly going to be like messed up forever. When your mother dies. Okay, it's going to affect all of her children tremendously, grandchildren, everything. And there's other things that affect this, like the relationship sure. that you have with the person, sure. a husband all the and a wife. We know, but this is another thing we didn't know. Right. That so adds to it. A husband and a wife, they don't share as much DNA as, uh, you know, the the mother and the son or mother and the right. daughter, but. That's a different connection. That's love. And your heart actually produces the most energy of anything in the entire world. Second to, I think it's crystals. Okay. So eventually when two people are with each other for a long time, a lot of, a lot of them becomes the other person. And when you get really old, you even start to kind of look the same, which is kind of odd. Right. So when you, your heart's been in sync with another person for so long and then they pass, you know, you really can die of a broken heart. You know, you're... I was gonna say when they say like it feels like a piece of me died. So it's, it's true because that piece of you died. And about the higher power, you know, they say that we are created in God's image, whoever God may be. Yeah. So really, if you took all the DNA that every human shares, right? Humans, mm-hmm. okay, not primates or anything else. Okay. Okay, and you stripped it down and you just had the exact amount of DNA that every human being, without even a single discrepancy, right, uh-huh. has, in a sense, that's God's image. That's God, that would be everybody. Yeah. That would be everybody in one place at the same every time. Every person. That would be God's image. And that, that would be the image that we are created in. And that would be Whoa. the fiber that we, in essence, uh, contribute to beautiful example of what i was saying of science and religion can exist exactly exist so is if to me if that's not a scientific manifestation of a soul how much closer do you want exactly how much much closer do you want to get exactly so if science can prove that there's a soul something that people have been believing for years Okay, and thought that it doesn't matter that science doesn't prove it, they know it's true, then why can't they change their mind and believe that evolution's true if it's proven through science? Well, I mean, I'm personally an individual who would. Well, I, I know you that. are. But I agree. Um, don't, don't be so afraid to, to put science and religion on the same table when you're talking about a subject. They can both be there at the same time. And shit, what if science is your religion? How dare you tell someone they can't practice hey, their religion the way that I they was, want to? I wouldn't dare say that to someone. While I personally wouldn't like to partake in that system, I still think that the God I believe in would work in that church too. I do. Absolutely. I do. Some really amazing things. We're quickly running out of time here, and, and it's a shame, but really good stuff to chew on right at the end there. A little um, different for Harley Millennial Podcast, I think. Man, you made me think, and I have some pretty strong beliefs about things, and that that was just really well spoken. Thank you. Well, for that. we'll we'll have a recap when the second uh, Passion movie comes out. 
I think I'm going to need probably about a year to recuperate from this one. Sounds about right. About uh, a year. It was rough. Well, guys, with that, we're going to go ahead and bring an end to uh, episode 54 here. Uh, thank you for sticking around for it all. Justin, thank you so much for coming on. Always an honor. Uh, it was great to have you. Uh, last little note here, guys. Like, comment, subscribe. Share with your friends. We appreciate all that. And uh, be on the lookout for the first official episode of mine and Adam's vlog coming out soon. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. Until then, we will see you next time. Bye-bye.